Fighting inflation will break down the governor's plan to give Hoosiers a refund. Plus, Senator Mike Braun, Senator Todd Young, and Senate candidate Tom McDermott on the gun debate in Washington. And the impact of this week's hearings on the January 6th attacks. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. Giving a billion back is doing just that. It's giving back dollars that Hoosiers have not only earned, but they've spent and that weren't budgeted. I think to get the money back to the people who spent it is the most effective way and certainly the most efficient way and another reason why we have to act now. Governor Eric Holcomb announcing a new plan to try and fight inflation by providing all Indiana taxpayers with another refund check. This is state Democrats continue to call for a suspension of the state's gas tax with prices now over $5 a gallon here in Indiana. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Dan Spieler. State House reporter Kristen Eskow has reaction today to the governor's plan. The governor says this would mean a return of $1 billion total to taxpayers. Now, this would require legislative approval, which could come within the next few weeks. As prices rise at the pump and surge at the supermarket, Governor Eric Holcomb says Indiana has the funds to help Hoosiers. Projections show the state's surplus could top $6 billion. So Holcomb has proposed a $225 tax refund for each Hoosier taxpayer something the chairman of the Indiana GOP supports. And this is, I think, the smartest and quickest way to get a fair distribution of dollars immediately to all taxpayers. If approved, it would be the second automatic taxpayer refund issued this year. There's a $125 tax refund going out to Hoosiers right now. And a new law is expanding the number of Hoosiers who could get that refund and the new one, including those who don't have an income tax liability. 225 is a good start. I believe it will give some relief for individuals. Um, I'm just kind of disheartened it took so long for it to happen. State Representative Greg Porter says he supports the governor's plan, though he would still like to see Republicans consider suspending the state's 56-cent gas tax. That was proposed by Democrats last month, but rejected by the Republican supermajority. Remember, we have 6.5, they're almost $7 billion surplus right now. That is, those are real dollars. Meanwhile, experts say the payments would be helpful for many Hoosiers, but not have much of an impact on the economy overall. I think it'll have a little bit of a positive impact. And, you know, we, we're most concerned about families that are struggling to get by, families on the margin. So that amount will, will help. Now, the exact details still need to be worked out. That'll happen as lawmakers draft the legislation for this plan. The governor says he's hoping to call a special session by the end of the month. At the State House, I'm Kristen Escal. All right, thanks. This week, Kristen's also talking with Senator Todd Young and his opponent, Tom McDermott, about what can be done at the federal level to fight inflation. How should Congress take action? Well, the unfortunate and punishing thing about inflation is once you're in an inflationary cycle, uh, it is historically, we know, very, very challenging to get out of it. So we shouldn't be here. Uh, roughly $2 trillion was spent. Uh, despite uh, many of us telling the administration and, and Democratic leaders it was unwise, and now we're in it. But now it's, it's clear uh, we, we should hold the line. 
on spending money. This was to be expected regardless of who won the last presidential election. If Donald Trump was in there, we'd still be dealing with these same types of problems, no doubt about it. One man can't cause inflation and one man can't erase inflation. And this is a worldwide problem. It's not just an American problem. This is not uh, a function of, of uh, the natural cycles, ups and downs of our economy. China is experiencing roughly 2.5% year-on-year inflation, fairly modest. So is Japan at the same level. So is Switzerland. So it's not as though uh, there's an inflationary environment in all countries. So you need to look at the public policies of particular countries. And uh, I think Hoosiers understand that uh, the occupant of the White House does not have the right mix of policies. I also wanted to ask you about how Congress should respond to the mass shootings we've seen. As you know, there's a bipartisan group of senators negotiating a package. Uh, would you support some of the ideas they're discussing, including uh, legislation on red flag laws, expanding background checks? And should Congress raise the minimum age to buy a rifle to 21? Yeah, I think it's important, Kristen, that we not be excluding all sorts of things. I'll say categorically, I, I, uh, the Second Amendment is in our Constitution, uh, and uh, it, it is the law of the land. So uh, we, of course, need to make sure that uh, we are obeying that fundamental law. But at the same time, uh, we need to make sure that uh, our children and our teachers and our administrators, when they go off to school, we know they're going to be safe. And there are a lot of things we could be doing. Uh, additional resourcing uh, to harden our schools and make sure that uh, they present a safe environment for our children is important. Uh, expansion of red flag laws. Indiana has passed one, but uh, other states can be incentivized to adopt uh, such laws as well and to implement uh, those laws. I'm a gun owner. I'm a, I have a lifetime permit to carry, and I have no problem whatsoever with increased background checks in order to carry a weapon also. And of course, assault weapons, we have to have discussions about assault weapons because uh, I'm, a, like I said, a gun owner. I just don't see any reason why we should make it easier to kill hundreds of Americans in minutes with assault weapons. It's those, those weapons are meant to kill. They're not for sport. They're not for defense. They're for offense and they're for soldiers. We should be sending our automatic weapons to Ukraine to fight the Russians right now not here on the streets of Indiana. Would you support a full assault weapons ban or do you think Congress should raise the minimum age to, to buy a rifle to 21? I think Congress should raise the minimum age to buy a weapon to 21 and I would be very open-minded to an assault weapons ban, absolutely. It's not impossible to pass laws that deal with the second amendment, just like it's not impossible to pass laws that deal with the first amendment, freedom to speech. You can't threaten the president of the United States. You can't threaten US Supreme Court justices that's restrictions and regulation on the First Amendment. So for those people that say you can't pass laws to deal with the Second Amendment, or just they're just not telling the truth, or they just don't know what they're talking about. I wanted to ask you about a tweet your opponent had sent out. Uh, he said here, Senator Todd Young did nothing post Sandy Hook since thousands have lost their lives to gun violence. And then he went on to say, Todd Young sits there collecting millions from the NRA, sending these parents thoughts and prayers. What's your response? I won't be responding to uh, political attacks and uh, partisan uh, sniping, uh, but I will say uh, that I'm proud of my record of having robustly supported uh, mental health resourcing at the federal level. I've, I've advocated uh, ever since I've, I've been elected by Hoosiers to be their U.S. Senator uh, uh, for expansions of that. And I'm glad to see that's risen to the top of the agenda. Uh, uh, here in Washington. With respect to background checks, I've improved our background check system through the Fix-Nix Act, uh, which was an important bipartisan measure. 
uh, to enhance uh, uh, you know safety for all Americans uh, even either even further and and uh, I have passed uh, supported past efforts uh, encouraging our, our appropriators of money here uh, to make sure that uh, if a state wants to adopt a, a red flag law like the state of Indiana has years ago, that they have the proper resourcing to implement that. So uh, very proud of my record. And, and uh, all of this has been done consistent with the uh, Second Amendment to our Constitution. And uh, I'm confident that moving forward, we can continue to strike that balance. All right, this week, Kristen also spoke with Indiana Senator Mike Braun on this topic of gun reform with a potential compromise still being crafted in the Senate. The mass shootings we've been seeing, many people agree that something has to change. What do you think Congress needs to do playing a role in, in making that change? I'd say take a cue from what is actually happening out there. So much of mass shootings outside of the horrific ones that occur at a school, uh, are like the thing in Buffalo, occur every day in our larger cities. Uh, so the root causes are complicated. And in Indiana, we do have a red flag law that's been around for 16, 17 years, I think statistically has worked. Um, and focus on the real issues. Uh, in the places where you've had the most stringent emphasis and control, it hasn't been working. So when you're gonna go after a basic right, the second amendment, which is always the reflex action to do so, I think you gotta be careful. Uh, here in Congress, there are discussions going on to see what might make sense that would get broad buy-in. And as long as it's keeping guns out of the hands of criminals and the mentally ill, and we now know that mental health almost always comes into play when you have these horrific incidents. That is common ground. Let's see how that might get fleshed out in detail to where you're not impinging upon, infringing upon the Second Amendment. All right. Meantime, in the House this week, lawmakers passed the Protecting Our Kids Act. Congressman Andre Carson said the bill would help reduce gun violence. He says, quote, it's long overdue to enact sensible gun policies that address this epidemic. He says the right to bear arms is not more important than the right to safety and security for all and says he urges the Senate to take up the legislation immediately. The yeas are 223. The nays are 204. The bill is passed. This particular House bill would raise the minimum age to buy a semi-automatic rifle from 18 to 21. It would also ban high-capacity magazines, one of two bills passed in the House this week. It passed largely along party lines and is not expected to pass in the Senate, which is, again, working to find a compromise on its own legislation. Meantime, at the Indiana State House this week, community members gathered to place 2,000 daisies representing children killed by gun violence. The organizers saying they hope this display sends a message about the need for change. All right, up next, we'll recap this week's January 6th committee hearing with reaction from Indiana politicians and a look at Mike Pence's role that day. Stick around. We're back right after this. Those who invaded our Capitol and battled law enforcement for hours were motivated by what President Trump had told them, that the election was stolen and that he was the rightful president. The House Select Committee investigating last year's attack on the Capitol says the riot was an attempted coup by former President Trump, in their words. Thursday, they started unveiling the documents and interviews they've collected, including testimony from Capitol Police officers. I 
whose literal blood, sweat, and tears were shed that day defending the building that I spent countless holidays and weekends working in. They dared to question my honor. They dared to question my loyalty. And they dared to question my duty. We also heard this week from Indiana Congressman Jim Banks, who was critical of the committee's efforts. Before their investigation even started, Speaker Pelosi turned the select committee into an unprecedented sham. She blocked Jim Jordan and I for, to serve on the select committee. It's disturbing to me as a veteran that the peaceful transfer of power was in such jeopardy and that Capitol Police officers' lives were on the line. And, and I, I just, I'm, I support police officers. I, I back the blue and I'm consistent about it. And I, I believe Capitol Police officers are also police officers and they should have the backing of the federal government as well. And I see half of our federal government forgetting that the Capitol Police are actual, you know, real police officers and they're not supporting them. And it's, it's a dark day in America's history. All right, let's talk about it all right now with our panel with us today. Here in the studio, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner-Chartier, and former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. And with us on Zoom, UND political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson, and Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndyPolitics.org. All right, Jennifer, I'll start with you. Your reaction to what we heard from the committee there in their first hearing Thursday night. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, I don't know how you can listen to the testimony from the Capitol Police officer, watch the video footage, um, and, and in any way, shape, or form say that this is not connected to the former president uh, and that he did not incite this riot. Um, it is astonishing to me that people still are talking about the process and who's on the committee, and we're not talking about the fact that, again, our nation came perilously close to having our government overthrown by people who were there at the urging of the former president. Let's talk about Jim Banks there. Is there room in your party, Mike, for the likes of both Liz Cheney, who's been a vocal member of this committee, and for somebody like Jim Banks as well, who was kicked off this committee and has been vocally critical of of their efforts this past sure year? Sure there is. It's the Democratic Party that throws uh, people out if you don't believe in everything they believe in. So we are a big tent party. Um, I happen to disagree with Jim Banks in this case. I think that um, Liz Cheney is uh, one, of the, one of the real leaders in the Republican Party, and I hope she continues Windsor-Wyoming primary and continues to be a big force for, for years to come. We'll see what happens there, of course. Abdul, what about Mike Pence's role that day and what we've learned about, uh, from the committee about his role and about what the former president ha had to say about him? Well, one thing I do, I do think, Dan, is that Pence is actually sort of an unspoken hero. Um, in a lot of this, I know that make, make some Democrats upset, uh, but Pence basically told the president, like, look, Mr. President, I have to follow the Constitution, I have to do what the Constitution says, and what you want me to do, it does not allow me to do it. Pence also, uh, you know, got on the phone, you know, called National Guard, you know, the, the military, the whole nine yards. So Pence, if anything, uh, in all this, uh, is really an unspoken hero and doesn't get as much credit and praise as he, as he does, or as he should, for moving this process forward and helping us avoid uh, basically, what, what Jennifer said was, was you know, sedition and, all, and a potential overthrowing of our government. But, but, but Laura, will these hearings change any minds out there? They have the potential to. And I think the first thing when you have an opening hearing on Thursday at prime time, certainly if you think of other things that go on in government, a lot of times it's during the day when other people are working and they don't necessarily have the time and the ability to pay attention. So people were tuned in, I think a little bit more to this, whether or not it changes their mind depends on the information that's provided. Many people do have really strong feelings and opinions about this, but in order to change that, you have to provide information and really challenge what it is people already believe. 
I think that it is an issue in which we're very polarized, but nonetheless, it's an important one for us to identify and address as a country if we're going to move forward. All right. A lot of news certainly this past week about former Indiana governors. Mike Pence's name mentioned in those hearings. Former Governor Mitch Daniels retiring from uh, Purdue this week as well, uh, announcing his retirement. But today we're also talking about current Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb on another issue here, unveiling his latest plan to fight inflation, giving Hoosiers a, another tax refund essentially out of our surplus. Jennifer, state Democrats had called uh, on the governor to suspend the gas tax. He's doing this instead. What's your reaction to, to what's the reaction that you're hearing on this so far, I guess? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, anytime money shows up in someone's mailbox, they're going to be happy, uh, assuming this all goes through the way that he has uh, announced it. I think you could have a lot more immediate relief at the pump with suspending the, uh, the sales tax on gasoline. Um, and I think ultimately we need to have a broader conversation. We have, what, $6 billion, $7 billion in reserves in Indiana. Like, what should we be spending that money on? Uh, is it these individual one-time uh, tax checks back to Hoosiers, or are there other things we could be investing in as a state? And I look forward to that conversation with the governor. Yeah, so we could see a special session uh, on this issue, perhaps a special session uh, on abortion later this year as well. Mike, it could be a busy summer for state lawmakers. It's going to be a really busy summer. First of all, on the, the gas tax and the, the, the uh, tax credit, um, usually the first idea out of the box is a bad idea, and that was the gas tax idea. Holcomb was smart to take his time to consult with legislative leaders, and this is a, a move that will help all taxpayers, not just the truck drivers who drive through Indiana and the tourists. Um, when it comes to the uh, special session, of course, um, that's going to be um, a major, major event, and you know, way too early to tell how that comes out. Uh, Abdul, it's also going to be an interesting week ahead for Indiana Republicans as they meet for their state convention next weekend to determine who they'll put on the ballot for Secretary of State. A very interesting dynamic here that could be, in some ways, uh, for some Republicans, a referendum on Governor Holcomb. Uh, some will sort of like uh, doing the old uh, uh, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, which will be taking place at the, at the Indiana State Fairgrounds as opposed to uh, Australia. No, but you're absolutely right. You have Diego Morales, uh, who's a former Pence employee. You got Holly Sullivan. You got Dave Shelton, the Knox County clerk, and another contender. Uh, frankly, I think uh, that Dave Shelton, who's uh, the Knox County clerk, has a good chance of uh, pulling this off in that Secretary of State's race because the Sullivan people and the Morales people hate each other. They're not going to vote for each other. So, uh, so if uh, Shelton comes in second, second or first or second place, he can win uh, the nomination. But we did ask the governor this weekend uh, on Friday about uh, does he think this is a referendum on him? He said he'll let his record speak for itself. All right, we'll see how all of that plays out with, uh, you know, the establishment, outsiders in that race as well. Laura, that position, Secretary of State, obviously, uh, so very important in administering elections state by state. And yet in many states, the position also now very politicized after everything that happened in 2020. We've seen a real change in how people perceive the Secretary of State and how they understand that role and their responsibility. I think a lot of times it was kind of clumped in, quite frankly, unfairly with the treasurer, auditor, or states that have comptrollers. It was another executive office people didn't really know or, quite frankly, probably care much about. But the Secretary of State being in charge of elections, they're in charge of that administrative law, it's very vital for any state. And certainly after 2020, and I would argue even probably elections before that, people have paid a lot more attention. It's important to understand the office. And of course, in this case, who would be running it? How would it be different? And what reflects the values that we want to see in that? That position. Uh, Mike, I want to get your response to that as well and, and your thoughts on how this might play out at, at your state convention next weekend. 
Well, I, I think uh, Dr. Wilson is right. You know, in the past, the Secretary of State has been considered somewhat of a ministerial office, again, again, akin to the Auditor or the Treasurer. Um, but this is, this is real politics, real time. I, I think that there's two strong candidates. Uh, Diego Morales has done the grassroots route. He's been, I think, every dinner in the state of Indiana and every church three times or so whereas uh, Holly Sullivan spent most of her time uh, running the office and trying to show that incumbency has its power. I can't tell you who's going to win. I have no idea, but it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out uh, this coming weekend. Democrats meeting here uh, in the coming days as well. All right, coming up next, parents have been waiting for word on vaccines for children under the age of five. And in the coming days, federal health officials could have some answers. We'll have the latest on the timeline up next. We make these vaccines widely available, highly accessible, so that parents can, can get their kids vaccinated. The White House estimates child vaccines could start the week of June 20th for children under the age of five. The FDA and CDC will meet this coming week to talk about Pfizer and Moderna's shots for children in that age group. The White House has a plan to roll out millions of doses as soon as they get approved, with 10 million doses already available for local governments and health care providers to order. They'll be available at pediatricians' offices and community health clinics. All right, stick around. We're back with this week's winners and losers up next. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Jen, you're up first. Two winners this week. Anybody who wants to see uh, former Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels run again for some other office, he is now available. Uh, and also our household, because I am married to a state Republican convention delegate, and I am sick and tired of the direct mail. So enough, <laughs> y'all. There you go. Mike? First of all, the winner is uh, Governor Holcomb for his common sense approach to uh, saving um, Hoosiers from inflation and the people of Indiana, because I think we're going to get Mitch Daniels back as governor, the first three-term governor of Indiana, mm. and I'm starting the bandwagon. Wow. All right. Abdul? Uh, Derek Multer, uh, who the governor announced this week uh, to follow the Supreme Court, is my big winner. And also the lovely Mrs. Shabazz is going to badly need a vacation next oh, week. There you go. Enjoy. Laura? Could just say et cetera to all the other winners that have been mentioned, but I will say a loser that hasn't. And unfortunately, that's us here in Indiana Higher Education. The Indiana Higher Education Commission released data that suggests only 53% of high school graduates go to college. We need to make it affordable. We need to do, make it accessible. It needs to be better. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.